Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are in the uh, book of Numbers in the Old Testament. And uh, we're at chapter 25. Now, we've been reading about the uh, children of Israel. They have now gotten stuck wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because they were idiots and uh, refused to trust God. And God finally had it up to here with them. Said, all right, you're going to just wander around until a whole bunch of you dies off. Everybody 20 years and under or whatever uh, gets to live uh, and go into the promised land. But you guys were going to wait for you to die off or maybe under 20. But uh, anyway, um, so then we uh, were reading about how they went from here and they went to there and some of the different things that they encountered. And we skipped over a bunch of stuff because it's boring to read. But, uh, uh, but then we got to this part where the Moabites... We're freaking out because this gigantic nation was out there wandering around and they were afraid. So they uh, went and they hired this prophet, Baal, to come and speak curses on Israel. Because apparently this prophet was quite effective. When he would bless people, they would, be, they would succeed. When he cursed them, they would be cursed. So the king offers uh, Balaam, was his name, right? Balaam, uh, a lot of money. To come and curse Israel. Well, again, we didn't quite understand. I don't understand. I don't know who understands it, but something about this guy, he actually was hearing from God, uh, even though he was one of these pagan guys. It's uh, the best analogy I can come up with, as I mentioned last week, is like when the uh, three wise men came. They knew where the Christ child was. Well, these guys were astronomers. You're not even supposed to be looking at stars for signs and stuff. But yet, they found the Christ child. Who understands it? I don't get it. It's just one of those bizarre things in the Bible. God's going to be God and does whatever he wants to do uh, when he wants to do it. But uh, So anyway, there's this guy who somehow hears God. And when God is with him, things are good. When he curses him, not so good. So, he comes and he tries to curse Israel. And uh, after his donkey talked to him, that's kind of a funny story. But uh, after he, uh, they, they got him all together and he started to try and curse him, but he couldn't curse them. He blessed them every time he opened his mouth. And the king kept freaking out. So he says, I can't do, I can't say anything other than what God tells me to say. And God kept saying, bless them, bless them, bless them, bless them. He kept speaking blessings over these uh, people. And the king was just furious and uh, couldn't take any more of it. And then uh, chapter 24, verse 25 it says, then Balaam got up and returned home and Balak went on his way. Now what they don't tell us here, there's some skips in the story, uh, which we will see just the way they wrote it. And I don't know what the deal was. What happens here is Balaam then tells Balak, look, I cannot curse these people, but you want them to get in trouble, get them to sin. And if you can get them to sin, they will bring God's judgment on their own heads. Say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because in a couple of chapters, they tell us. And then it's, you hear the rest of the story. It's one of those, you kind of get to the end. and what, what, what? Oh, now it makes sense. So I tell you now, otherwise it just doesn't make sense. So he uh, basically tells them, look, seduce them with the women. Send the best looking babes you got. Go check out the Israelites floating around out there. Get them to fall into sexual sin. Now you got them. So when Balaam got up and went back to his home and Balak went on his way, what Balak went on was this information that uh, even though this guy can't curse them, 
that if I get them to sin sexually, then this will bring about God's punishment on them. So we read about it. So chapter 25, verse 1. While Israel was staying in Shittim, I want to say that right. <coughs> the, <laughs> the, uh, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women, who then invited them to the sacrifices uh, to, to the sacrifice to, to their God. And the people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger burned against them. So now check it out. All this time he's trying to curse them. Can't get God's protecting them. God's protecting them. God's protecting them. And then, bada bing, bada boom. Get them to misbehave in this way. And bring uh, God's disfavor and displeasure upon their lives. Now, I know I talk about this stuff a lot, sexual sin, more than any other preacher I've ever heard in my life. And, uh, but there's a reason for it. It's because this stuff will pollute your life. And while the devil cannot touch you and hell itself cannot prevail itself against your life, if he can get you to fall into sin, particularly sexual sin, it'll put you in a very, very bad place in your life. Now again, there's all kinds of people who claim the name of Jesus who say, well, it doesn't matter. It's okay if I do this. And they have all the justifications. They're like the children of Israel when they said, oh, we, we can take the land. God will be with us. You know, yeah, no problem, no problem. And then they get their butts handed to them on a platter. That's what happens to a lot of Christians who claim to be Christians, who act in non-Christian ways, embrace things that are actually anti-Christ. And by the way, the scripture warns us over and over again, beware the spirit of antichrist. Now, people always think, well, that just means the Antichrist. You know, this creature, this guy that's going to rise up and, and have all this incredible power at the end days. Uh, no, no, no. It's not talking about the Antichrist. It's talking about the spirit of Antichrist. Something that is against God. Something, that, And I tell you, in, in today's culture, in the faith community, there is such a spirit of Antichrist as to make you just shudder. Because Christians routinely... Claim the name of Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a believer. And then act in anti-Christ ways at the same time. Lying, cheating, stealing, sexual sin in particular. We're up to our eyeballs in sexual sin in the church today. To a point, I, it just stuns me. You know, And it's not so much that it stuns me that they do it. It's that they do it and they think there's nothing wrong with it. And it's fine. It's no big deal. La, 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 la. You know, yeah, pastor, blah, 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 blah. And they're constantly getting their butts handed to them on a platter, wondering how come God isn't blessing them, how come things aren't working for them, how, how come uh, all of a sudden all hell breaks loose in their lives. It's because they are doing these things that Christ teaches us not to do. But rather than embrace what Christ says to do, we embrace a spirit of anti-Christ and do what we want to do anyway, particularly in this area. Beware of this stuff. This stuff will swallow you whole, man, and wreck your life and do not kid yourself take heed when you think you stand the bible says lest you fall and if you're the kind of person who thinks well it never happened to me you're just the kind of person that uh, the devil's looking for and will dupe you and put you into stuff uh, i was reading an, an article today uh, barna research this is a new one up to 30 percent of all born-again christians do not think pornography is wrong 
30% of born-again Christians who are embracing the spirit of Antichrist. Oh, there's nothing wrong with porn. Nothing wrong. 30%! That doesn't count the big part that know it's wrong. All the surveys I've looked at over the last year says 50% of the men in most churches are up to their eyeballs in porn. In churches! Well, dear God, it's got to be higher than that with this kind of results. Now 30% of all Christians, including women, think there's nothing wrong with it. <sighs> Talk about the curse of the Moabites coming on them. The devil can't get to them. God will protect them. God will bless them. God will help them succeed. Nothing they can do. But then we, in our own selfishness, our own foolishness, our own narcissistic behavior, commit sins that are anti-Christ and bring not the blessings of God on us, but the punishment of God on us. He said, I don't believe that. <laughs> well, then lots of luck with that. Have a nice time storming the castle. You know, see how you do when you go try and take the promised land on your own. Balaam knew this. Get him to sin sexually, man. You got him. You got him. And make no mistake, Satan wants to destroy as many people as he possibly can in this way. Beware. Be on your guard. Talk about these things. Be aware of them. And make no mistake, you know, people think Christianity, church is a safe place where you won't encounter sexual sin. <laughs> Wrong! Now this will sound very weird, but church can be a very sensual environment. Now you think of bars or strip clubs or something being sensual. I'm telling you, churches can be extremely sensual environments if you're not paying attention. Why? We all get together, we're always at our best behavior. We always look our most fabulous. We're in church. We're going out loud. We're all so nice to each other all the time. The men actually smell nice for once. We like to hug each other. I'm paranoid about that stuff. I'm the biggest hugger in the church. We're all under the hugging and the touching and holding hands. But watch that stuff. Be careful that you don't get into sharing emotional parts of your heart with someone of the opposite sex in the church. Be smarter than that. You know, you get in that environment and you're opening to each other and you care about each other and you're on your best behavior and we actually create this illusion that we're always like this. <laughs> Talk to our spouses. Uh, and, and then, then we hold hands. Well, let me pray for you. And let me, let me comfort you. And are you really hurting while you're... You know, look out for that stuff. You got no business sharing your heart struggle with anybody who does not have the same plumbing as you. <laughs> are you hearing me? Don't be stupid. Okay? Again, I get... I'm not paranoid about these things. And we don't walk around like, you know, Puritans, and, no, don't protect me, you know, oh, there's women, I can't look at those women. And all that kind of, you, know, I, you know, I don't do that. But, I try not to be stupid and connect. Some woman starts pouring her heart to me, I'll listen for a while, but some, I'm panning her off to somebody else. Some other woman, you need to connect with somebody else. Watch it. Okay? And I hope... I hope all the musicians in the back are listening. I don't know if you guys are sitting out here or not. But it can be really bad among musicians because musicians tend to be really emotional people. And you get very close to everybody. and You know what I'm talking about, Gary, right? This happens every day. 
in churches. People falling into sexual sin. Musicians in the churches and pastors running off with the piano player. Of course, I... In my case, I'd have to be gay to do that one, but you know what I'm talking about. This stuff happens all the time. And just be aware of it and be honest about it. You know, particularly men. You know, guys, we are visually stimulated. By the way, ladies, cut us some slack, would you? You know, and and most of you that come here are are cool. You know, it's it's the Sunday morning crowd. Man, some of those ladies, man, there's stuff hanging out all every which way but loose. You know, I mean, cut us us some slack, man. I mean, that's fabulous. You got all the right stuff, but man, cover up some of that, would you please? So, Pastor, you're going to talk to... No, no, we're going to get all kinds of people in here. We'll get people who are as clueless as the day is long. They're coming to try and find Jesus. They don't get it. You know, their idea of dressing up for church is, you know, Cleavage City. It is, because that's the way they dress up, right? They get all prettied up, and then they're about it, you know, and you're... Uh... <laughs> you kind of, kind of want to walk around like this. Hi, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Yes. You're tempted to say, what's your name? I mean, your name? Your name? Your name? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, your name. What? <laughs> I thought you were a man of God. I am a man of God. I am a man who belongs to God. I may be sanctified, but I ain't petrified for crying out loud. I... So, so girls, a little, a little grace here, okay? Cut us some slack. All right? And guys, don't be getting all warm and fuzzy and emotionally connected with somebody who is not your wife. Be smart about that stuff. Especially you guys, you workers in the church. We all encounter this. This is the church environment. Just be aware. Be aware. Okay? Men are very easily tempted to do stupid things. You know, and women. Women don't understand men. Men's temptation. <laughs> I try to talk to them. It's like talking to someone from another planet. You know, say... Well, what is it when a man's tempted? Is it just he notices a pretty woman? No. No, it's way past noticing a pretty woman. So, wasn't well, that sin? Well, no, 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 that's not. If temptation is a sin, there's a whole lot of us going to hell. I'll tell you right now. The best analogy I found for women to understand is chocolate. All right? Now, when you notice a piece of chocolate, that's one thing. That's not temptation. It's when you see the piece of chocolate and go, I would like a bite of that. All right? That is temptation. Now, is that a sin? That's not a sin. Okay? So, <laughs> your poor husband's being tempted. And by the way, you probably don't want to share this with your wife. Most of you guys, women would freak out. But guys ought to talk to each other and have guys that they can talk about these things. When was the last time any of you guys have talked about some of your temptation struggles to some other Christian man? I bet the majority of you. It's been a long time, if ever. We need to stop that stupidity. The best way to break that hole in your life is talk about it. Open your mouth with some, some other guys and talk about it. Some guys that you can trust and you can relate to and say, man, oh gee mama. You know, because then it breaks his hold on you. As long as, I'll tell you, the key for sexual sin to grab any man is secrecy. You let, make it secret, it'll choke the life out of you. I don't care if it's porn, I don't care if it's checking out some babe, I don't care what the, you just keep it all secret, keep it all secret, it will get you. You know, 
Just be open as you can so it doesn't get on you and get a hold of you and destroy you. It is my biggest fear. I say this all the time. It's my biggest fear. If you were the devil, what would you try to get me to do? I mean, come on. As much as I talk about this, as much as I talk about families and all this kind of stuff, it scares the willies out of me. Whatever a willy is. <laughs> but be smart about it. Let's just be smart about it. You know, at a minimum, let's just be intelligent, mature believers. Again, I'm not talking we're all paranoid and fret. That's not a, we're not going to play that game. But just be smart. Watch yourselves. Be aware. Blah, blah, blah. Because I'm telling you, this is the stuff that will get you. And that's what it got them. So Israel joins in worshiping the Baal of Peor. They are bowing down to this stupid statue. Oh, Baal. Suck to me, Baal. Oh, I love you, Baal. Oh, Baal, baby. I love you, baby. When they had just been experiencing the God of heaven and earth doing miracles constantly in front of them. And they ignore that God and start worshiping some stupid statue. Why would they act so stupidly? Sex. Sex. Will make you crazy. Sex will make you do stupid things. That's why when you're dating people, don't have sex with them. Did anybody understand that? Don't have sex with people when you're dating them. Because it will cloud your brain for crying out loud. That's why you got these, you know, I get these emails and comments all the time. Women, men, both sides. You know, well, Pastor Mark, I don't know, I, I got this man and he beats me up and everything's horrible and he's just, you know, it's horrible. And I, don't, I don't know what to, can, can you change him? That's how you merge him? No, we're just dating. It's treating you like that? Get out of there. Well, they can't. Why? Because they're sexually attached to these people. Sex, any normal thing outside of sex in a relationship, you can see clearly and you avoid stupid stuff. The minute you become sexually active with someone, you start connecting. It holds you in a bad place. It clouds your brain. Watch out for that stuff. It is a puff. It's supposed to be powerful. It's the one thing God designed to try and hold two people together for life. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we need all the glue we can get. Somebody say amen. <laughs> you know, I still don't understand some of y'all. Couples. When was the last time you had sex? I don't know, six years ago? Good Lord. I wouldn't last six weeks, man. <laughs> How y'all get six years? And nothing in six years? Come on! Mad at each other, whatever the deal is. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I was dealing with a lady today. I want to have sex. I don't, why not? I don't feel like it. Well, you don't feel like it. If you feel like it, you have a responsibility to your spouse for crying out loud. That is grossly unfair. I don't feel like it. Well, I'd just like it if your husband got up tomorrow morning and said, I'm not going to work. Why not? I don't feel like it. I want to pay the bills. I don't feel like it. I yeah, I think your, your, your vision of feeling like it is going to change dramatically. People always do things they don't feel like for crying out loud. I ask her, when, when you clean the toilet, is it because you feel like it? Yeah. I just really, really, I'm feeling it in my spirit. I just really want to clean this toilet right now. <laughs> Only in the area of sex, for some reason, it's got to have all this feeling, all this feeling, all this. Stop already. Sometimes you feel like it, sometimes you don't. 
like pretty much always the time. You know, so sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. Why am I talking? Oh, that's because it's in here. I just have to take all these rapid trails. Focus, focus, focus. Okay, so anyway, the Lord gets ticked off at him. And he starts sending a plague. How do you know that? Because it tells us a little bit later. I don't know, for some reason right here they give us a story and fill it in a little bit later. So anyway, God's anger burns and and these people know it, right? Because every time God gets ticked off at him, plagues come, people start dying, snakes show biting people, they're dying, all kinds of weird, icky stuff is happening to them. They know what's going on. They have ticked God off. God will not tolerate it with these people. So is God going to do that to me? No, he's not going to send a snake to kill you or anything like that, you know. But the Bible says, to whom much is given, much shall be required. You have to remember, these people are in a place where they virtually need no faith at all. They are seeing and experiencing miracles constantly. And they took it for granted. To whom much is given, much will be required. You start doing, God starts showing up and talking to you and angels and you're hearing voices and all this stuff and power things start happening all the place. And then you tick God off, look out. Not going to be good. So anyway, the Lord says to Moses, take all the leaders of these people and kill them, would you? <laughs> Ouch. Expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to, the judge, to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. What? These are the guys who are sacking up with these chicks, having sex with them. It clouds their brain. Now they're down there b- bowing in front of some stupid idol. So anyway, so that's what he tells you. you got to go kill all these guys. Well, then there's this Israelite man, chapter, verse 6, who, who brings to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses. And this guy is, is clueless as the day is long. No shame. And by the way, if there's anything our nation suffers from today, no sense of shame at all. People will freely confess the most disgusting behavior and think nothing of it. No sense of shame anymore. Well, this guy, in his arrogance brings home the Midianite babe alright right before the eyes of Moses in the whole assembly while, while they're weeping at the entrance to the tent of the meeting they're all crying <laughs> and here comes guy with a super babe walking by what are you doing well Phineas, the son of Eleazar the, the, uh, the son of Aaron the priest so Phineas sees this it ticks him off here we are, we're crying out to God, trying to avoid this plague. People are dying. Now we got to get a bunch of other people and kill them because of their sin. And, and he sees this guy bring this chick home with him, living in sin with her, right in front of everybody. So he gets up, he leaves the assembly, and he goes and gets a spear in his hand. And he follows the guy into his tent. When they get inside, he drives the spear through both of them, right through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Ugh. Then the plague stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000 people. God did not mess around with these people. But there was something in this act that got God's attention and the plague stopped. You say, well, why? Because here's a guy who at least has some zeal for God's honor. These are people, again, we're not going to run spears through you. You know, if you're having dating problems, okay? We're not talking about... But again, to whom much is given, much is required. These guys were experiencing God in all his glory. Every day. Miracles. Every day. Didn't even have to work for food. Food is just wide up every morning. It's on the ground. They didn't have to do anything. 
And, and God, would, I mean, they could hear God's voice. You know, well, they finally said that. We don't want to hear it anymore. So Moses and these other guys would, but they would see this gigantic pillar during the day, fire at night. I mean, this is like, wow. And he's acting so disrespectfully for God, in front of God, and it ticks off this guy. How can you dare act this way in front of God? And the Lord says to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was zealous as I am for my honor among them. So that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. In other words he's praising this guy who did this. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood. Because he was zealous for the honor of his God. And made atonement for the Israelites. Well the name of the Israelite who was killed with a Midianite woman. Was Zimri the son of Salu. The son of Simeonite family. And the name of the Midianite woman who was put to death was Kazbi, daughter of Zur. He was a tribal chief in the Midianite family. And again, these guys literally took their daughters and stuff and the, and the women to go seduce these guys. You know, so well, that's kind of a slimy thing to do. These, country, these countries around Israel, remember, these people are unbelievably disgusting. And they're about to bring God's serious judgment on them when they go into the promised land. But uh, So anyway, so the Lord says to Moses, treat the Midianites as enemies and kill them because they've treated you as enemies when they deceived you in the affair of Peor, getting, you know, seducing you guys. And, and then the, their sister, Cosby, the daughter of the Midianite leader, the woman who was killed and when the plague came as a result of Peor. So, uh, so that's that thing. Sad, sad. These guys, the, Baal, Balaam knew how to get them. He knew how to get them. And it worked. And brought disarray to them. And God's cursing on them. And, but for this passionate zeal for this guy who was ticked off for insulting God the way that they did. Who knows how many of them would have died. Alright, then we get uh, back into a census. They, they take a second census. That's why the book is called Numbers. One of the big things they were doing during this recording at the time of the children of Israel was counting everybody and how many there were. All the numbers, hence the word numbers. So we don't want to read that. Because I don't want to. And uh, so we go. And then uh, that's all of chapter 26. Uh, Chapter 27. Kind of an interesting little beginning of of chapter 27. Uh, You can read that on your own. But uh, uh, this is when uh, they started having laws to protect the rights of women. Which was kind of a new thing. Up to this time women were really brutally treated. Uh, in the law of Moses, they started to be treating with greater respect. And of course, when Christianity came, they started to be treating with much greater respect to the point where Paul said, look, there's no difference between men and women before God. That's what he says. Okay. And, uh, you know, people who say, you know, Christianity oppresses women. <laughs> You're on drugs, man. Christianity was most, one of the most liberating religions ever. Look at some of the other religions around you, my friend. Talk about oppressing women, denying them to be treated as human beings or allowing them, refusing that they be educated, blah, 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 blah. These, you know, anti-Christ people who get against Christianity and say we're anti-woman, they're ludicrous. Um, they just say that because, you know, of the structure in the home, you know, the husband and then the wife. and Well, it's oppressive to women. It's not oppressive to women. The guy's supposed to love that woman like Christ loved the church. Lay down his life for the church. A man who loves a woman enough to lay down his life for that woman is not an oppressive man. Somebody say amen. amen. And I hear these guys who go around and, you know, preachers and stuff in these churches. Like, oh, women need to submit and just do what men tell them to do. You're an idiot. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not about that. 
You're supposed to be a servant. As Jesus didn't come to earth and just boss everybody around. Where did they get this from? You know? And, and they give Christianity a bad name, but uh, they're just nitwits. All right. So I know we, we got some rules here protecting property for women and da 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 da. Uh, and then uh, we'll pick it up at, at verse 12 as we're cruising through numbers here. Then the Lord said to Moses, I want you to go up uh, this mountain in the Abarim range and see the land I have given the Israelites. I have given the Israelites. Did the Israelites have it yet? No. But God says he has given it to them. What do you mean? You have given it. See, when God says it's happening, it's like he talks about it in the, in the past tense. That's faith, you see. And Jesus actually brings us into the New Testament. He says, when you pray and ask God for something, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. What do you mean? I, I believe it's mine when I get it. No, no, no. You actually believe you've got it before you even get it. It's an amazing, I don't have time to teach on it, but it's, 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 it's the attitude of experiencing something in here before you see it here. If you can't see it here first, Jesus is fundamentally saying, you'll never see it here. But when you pray to the point that you can actually experience it here and you can see it here, and it has, in a sense, occurred, even though it hasn't, that's when it occurs. Pretty wild. We'll talk about it some other time. Uh, so anyway, the, I want you to go see the land I have given them. It's all out there. So he goes up there and he says, after you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people. Remember the last time we read that phrase? That was when Aaron died. <laughs> he said, you're going to be gathered to your people. You're going to kick the bucket. Okay, so you're going to die. And after they got Aaron already, then he keels over. And that was the end of him. So he's telling him, go look at this. And then after you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people. Although it doesn't happen right away here. Just as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters of the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. Remember that? That's when God spoke to uh, Moses. Say, go speak to the rock. Water will come out of it. Moses is so angry at them. Oh, stupid people! And he yells at them and he hits the rock and the water still comes out. But God was ticked. That's not what I told you to do. What you did was disrespectful to me. And for that, you guys will not go into the promised land. Ouch. I mean, his whole life has been about this, right? But he doesn't get to go in. Neither him nor Aaron. Again, to whom much is given, much shall be required. You think, man, that's strict. That's really strict. Yeah, but here's a guy who's talking to God face to face. I mean, you know, there's, there's a higher standard uh, for, for what you uh, get. Um, so anyway, Moses says to the Lord, May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. So he's praying for, he's always praying for the people. He had such a heart for the people. God, at times, would get so angry, he was going to destroy the whole nation. And he would stand and go, no, no, no. And he was always praying. So God is saying, okay, now you're getting ready to die. Part of your punishment is you will not go into the promise. They will, but you won't. And he starts praying for the people. Please give them a leader. Raise up somebody. Because once I'm gone, they'll, they, who's going to lead them? So the Lord says to Moses, "Will take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring uh, of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua, had him stand before Eleazar the priest, and the whole assembly, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him 
as the Lord instructed Moses. So when Moses dies, it's Joshua who takes over. Joshua is the one who takes them into the promised land. And uh, that's where you get the song. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. But we'll read that story later. So anyway, now we got uh, all the uh, more rules. <laughs> Never stops with the rules. Sabbath rules, offering rules, Passover rules, weeks of certain feast rules, feasts of the trumpets, days of atonement, feasts of the tabernacle. I don't want to read all this stuff. Uh, all of this stuff, uh, vows, how to make vows, and blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, you know. Okay, then chapter 31. We'll skip up to that. Uh, so the Lord says to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites. Why? Remember what they just did to them. I mean, it's been a little while now, but he'd go take vengeance on these guys. They're going to get theirs now. Because they had conspired with the advice of Balaam to seduce the people, got them involved in thinking stupid because of their sexual sin, did improper things, and God's punishment came. So he says, take your vengeance on the Midianites for the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. So before you die, I want you to go kick their butts. So Moses said to the people, uh, arm some of your men and go to war against the Midianites and to carry out the Lord's vengeance on them. Send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes. Twelve tribes? That would be twelve thousand men. So twelve thousand men armed for battle. Uh, a thousand from each t- tribe were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them into battle, a thousand from each t- tribe, along with Phinehas, son, or Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest. This is the guy who speared and was fighting for God's honor who took with him articles from the sanctuary and trumpets for signaling. So they go into battle. So they fight against Midian, as the Lord commanded, and killed every man. They wiped everybody out. Okay. Now among their victims were Evie, Reckham, uh, Zer, Her, and Reba. Not McIntyre, but a different Reba. This is Actually, Reba in the Bible is a male, a man's name. Uh, there were five kings, the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, son of Baar, with a sword. Aha! Balaam gets his finally. This is the false. This is the prophet who tried to curse Israel, couldn't do it, but he let them know this is how you get them. This is where we find out the rest of the story here in, in just a minute. So they uh, killed Balaam with a sword. And the Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took them, took all the Midianite herds, flocks, and goods as plunder. So they kill all the men, keep the women, all the money, all the stuff. They burned all the towns where the Midianites had settled as well as all their camps. They took all the plunder and spoils, including the people and the animals, and brought the captive spoils and plunder to Moses and Eleazar the priest and the Israelite assembly at their camp on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And remember, they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan and take Jericho. Big battle there. Walls came a tumbling down. Moses, Eleazar, the priests, and all the leaders of community went to meet them outside the camp. So here come all the guys. They'd won. They just kicked all these butts. And they come back with all the stuff. And now Moses is angry with the officers of the army. The commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds who returned from the battle. Have you allowed all the women to live? (laughs) Oh, man. Moses wanted them to kill the whole lot of them. And, uh, these were the ones. Why would he say that? Because they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor so that a plague struck the Lord's people. There's the rest of the story. That's how we know what, what Balaam had done. That's how they knew to get them to tempt them with women to fall sexually. Now kill all the boys. Kill every woman who's ever slept with a man. But you can say for yourself, every girl who's still a virgin. Now all of you 
who have uh, killed anyone or touched anyone who was, out, uh, who was killed must stay outside the camp for seven days. You've got to purify yourself. They had all these rules and stuff because they'd come back all bloody and icky bleh, from the battle. Um, uh, anyway, so they're, they're talking about all that kind of stuff. So Then they go on and they start dividing the spoils and they split it all up and blah, 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 blah. Now, chapter 32, as we're cruising right along here. And uh, almost done with numbers. So we're going to be done in just a second, I think. Uh, then we have an interesting thing. Now, they're, they're getting ready. We're not seeing the clock ticking here, but it's, it's, it, it appears to me that they're uh, at the end of the 40 years. And uh, M- Moses is getting ready to die. So that was a quick 40 years. All, all we saw was how they were wandering around, but they did this for 40 years. Um, Moses is getting ready to die. Um, and then he gets up and gives this big final speech to all of them, which is the entire book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> it's one long speech, holy moly. And we ain't going to read that whole thing. But we will read some highlights because there's some very, very, very cool things in there uh, that we'll read. Uh, Deuteronomy actually uh, is, uh, was quoted quite a bit by Jesus uh, as he was teaching and stuff. So we'll hit some of those high points. But uh, so here they are now. They're finally 40 years. Virtually everybody's died off, and now this next generation is going to go in. So then you've got these two tribes, Reuben's tribes and, and Gad's tribe, the Reubenites and Gad, Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the land of Jazir and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they hadn't crossed yet over into the Jordan River. They're going to cross the Jordan River, and then they were going to take on Jericho, and, 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 and they just went through and wiped out all these people and took over this land flowing with milk and honey. But these two tribes said, you know what, we'd rather stay here. Because look at this place. This is, I mean, they still weren't in the really nice place, but where they had, they fell in love with. And they thought, this is great. Because look at what, what fabulous uh, land this is for, uh, for livestock. So they come to Moses, verse 2, and Eleazar the priest. And uh, all these guys came and they started talking, da 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 da. And what they said is, verse 5, if we found favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as our possession and do not make us cross the Jordan. We'd rather just stay here. Well, Moses now, it, it ticks him off. He says to the Gadites and the Reubenites, shall your countrymen go to war while you guys just sit here? I mean, you bunch of self-centered, narcissistic little snots. So he gets upset at them. And uh, how, how can you do that? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over to the land which the Lord has given them? In verse 8, this is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. Remember, he sent in the, the guys to spy out the land. And after they went up to the valley of Eshcol and viewed the land, they discouraged the Israelites from entering the land. Remember, they came back and said, we can't do it, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. But they listened to all the whiners. And this is what your parents did. Now you're doing the same thing? This is how we know. This is 40 years later now. Now, uh, uh, so anyway, he, he really rails on them. Verse 14, here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. Um, so he's really chewing them out and uh, giving, them, giving them a really hard time. So then in verse 16, they say this. Uh, then they came up to him and said, well, we would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and children. We really do want to stay here, but... We are ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. 
Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. Well, then Moses basically says, yeah, if you do that, then that's cool. So what these guys were saying, look, we really do want to stay here, but we promise you, as soon as we get all the, everything set up for our families, we will go in. We'll lead a lot going in. We're not afraid of war. We will go in and we'll help everybody. We won't come back until all the land has been purged and it's in, in Israeli control and everybody gets their uh, land and then we'll come back to the other side of the Jordan because that's where they wanted to be. So, uh, so it was good. So everybody was happy. Alright, so that's pretty much uh, the, the very last chapter of, of Numbers again, chapter 36. Uh, we read about the same ladies, these daughters who are concerned that they weren't getting any property rights and stuff like that. And then it shows how that all panned out for them and stuff. And then we come to, so we're done. We're done with the book of Numbers. All right, that's all the highlights. That's all the stuff. We've, we've <laughs> covered a lot of territory from the Old Testament. But this is all the really important stuff that kind of sets up uh, where we are. Now, Moses basically is ready to die. And as his final departing talk to the Israelites, he gives them this <laughs> yo mama speech. I don't, I don't have no idea how long this all took. But uh, basically reminding them of where they've been and, and stuff. And giving them some really key statements that we will read. We'll, we'll pick it up next week and uh, take a look at it Because there's, there's some real powerful things here. Great stuff about the blessings of God if you'll do the right thing. The curses of God if you do the wrong thing. And, uh, and, and we'll tie that into how that works in the New Testament. Does God still work that way with believers and uh, uh, today? So we will take a look at that. Uh, and then uh, and then Moses will die and that will be the end of the first five books of the Bible which are the books of Moses so pretty interesting stuff alright y'all having fun as we're getting through this alright we are done for tonight I'll have all the ushers come forward our musicians can come back up uh, we'll end with a song and take our uh, our evening offering here uh, there, there's some cool stuff here I, I think what we're going to do uh, just, just to finish the story, once we, we're just, we're just going to hit some of the highlights of Deuteronomy, and then I want to jump into a little bit of, of, uh, of Joshua here, and, and show you how they go in and, and some of the success they have, some of the key stories, uh, and then uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some of the Judges, which is the next book, uh, and pretty much take you that first part of the Old Testament, so you get really familiar what the basics of it. Uh, because in Judges is when you learn about uh, Gideon and Samson. Some of these really cool stories, you know. What was this about? Why, was, why were things the way that they were? And, and we'll learn some of that. And, uh, and then cool. Then at some point we'll jump back over to the New Testament. And you will be that much wiser in your Bible knowledge. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gifts to us. We now honor you back with a portion of what you have given us. God bless this work. Anoint this church. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in our giving and faithful in our tithes, faithful in our offerings, uh, sacrificial gifts that we even give, Lord. So that we put first the kingdom of God because, Lord Jesus, you said not to worry about what we eat 
or what we drink or any of these other things. And there's a lot of worrying going on today, Lord, with the economy and everybody freaking out. But you taught us not to worry. You said this. You said that if we will put the kingdom of God first, you would make sure that we have all that we need. So we honor you by putting you first in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.